God's Word. I want to begin reading this morning in verse number 15. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate saith unto them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him, therefore unto them to be crucified. And they took Jesus and led him away. And he bearing his cross went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side one and Jesus in the midst. Let's go down to verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus, his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour that disciple took her unto his own home. After this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar, and put it upon hyssop, and put it upon his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head, and gave up the ghost. I'm not trying to understand this, but the Lord has impressed on my heart for days. Verse 28, after this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. I want to preach on the thirst of my Savior. Father, thank you for the precious word of God And thank you for the precious Son of God. And Father, I'm asking you that you would cleanse me of sin and empty me of self and give me of your spirit today. Fill me up, Lord, that I might preach your word to your people. Touch us, God. Be pleased to work amongst us. God, I won't tell you. I'm so undeserving. But Lord, I praise you that you saw fit to save my, my sinful soul. And I praise you today, Father. Help us in Jesus' name to preach. Amen and amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. I want to linger around Calvary this morning just for a little while where we find the thirsting Savior suffering on the cross for you and for me. We know that Jesus made seven statements on that cross and this is the shortest of any of the seven that he made. And it may very well be the hardest for us to grasp or understand. Now if I've read my Bible correctly, this is the fifth time that it says that Jesus was given something to drink and this is the fifth statement. And this time he says, I thirst. Some of those times that they offered him things to drink, they offered him 
the drink that it was mingled with gall or that it was mingled with myrrh. And they offered that to sedate him, to to make him easier to handle, to uh, try to alleviate some of the pain that he was in, to lessen or to dull his senses. But Jesus refused uh, the sedation of their drinks. Jesus uh, did not have to be put down. He offered himself willingly upon the cross of Calvary. They gave those sedatives not only to sedate him, but to subdue him, to, to cause him not to be so willing to fight against them. And honey, he was not fighting nor resisting the cross. He truly gave his life on the cross of Calvary. His purpose was to drink the full cup of the wrath of God, of the dregs of our sin. So I begin to think about Jesus. Three things and I'll be done. Number one, he is my Savior, is the pleased Savior. Pleased Savior. Preacher Darren, he's hanging on a cross. He's, he's been beaten beyond recognition. He is dehydrating and thirsting. And you're telling me that he's pleased. Well, when I read verse 28, after this, Jesus knowing that all things were now accomplished. You see, when Jesus was knowing that all things were accomplished, that was pleasing to him, if you will. What do you mean, Preacher Darren? Well, this is his fifth statement. And he says, I thirst. But he never mentioned his own needs until he had first addressed the needs of others. If you'll think with me for just a second, he's putting himself last and he's putting others before himself. He said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's emphasizing the needs of lost humanity. He said, Woman, uh, behold thy son. He's emphasizing the needs of his mother. He said, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. He's emphasizing the needs of the thief. He said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He's emphasizing the need of his disciples and he's, as he's paying the price for our sin. Last, fifthly, when he mentions I thirst, he's putting his own needs last. Think about it. These all start with the letter P. He prayed for the lost. He promised eternal life. He's providing for his mother. He's paying the price for our sins. Honey, let me just say, he is full man and full God, but he did not put himself first. He put himself last, even as he's suffering on the cross. And I'm telling you something, he was pleased to do so. We see the creator, he's God. The creator making himself subject to creation when he says, I thirst. We have a hard time putting ourselves in this position to make ourselves last because we feel like we are deserving of something. He made himself unrecognizable. He made himself unnoticed. He was willing to be unnoticed. He, listen, he is making himself last and he's pleased to do so. Not only that, but he's making himself least. The Bible says in Philippians 2 
verse number 7, that he made himself of no reputation. And he took upon himself the form of a servant. And he was made in the likeness of men. And being found fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. He made himself least. Now listen to me. Oftentimes I'll hear people say, Preacher, I just want to be a servant until you get treated like one. And when you figure out that the suffering servant is last and he's least, that's not what you want to be associated with. You want to be recognized. You want attention paid to you. You want to be noticed. You want a pat on the back. But honey, when Jesus was dying there in that place, he was dying, making himself least, making himself last, being pleasing unto the Father. He was bruised for our iniquities that we might be saved. Listen to me for a second. There was a young man. He and his daddy got into this huge argument, this huge fight. And the boy felt like his daddy had done him wrong, and the boy moved away from home. And after some time, the boy got in a dire position. I mean, he fell on hard times. And a friend to him said, why don't you just go back and talk to your daddy or call your daddy or get your daddy back involved in your situation. And he said, I'd rather die as to take one thing from that man. I'd rather die as to receive one thing that man gives me. Honey, I'll tell you something. Jesus has done you no wrong. Jesus has done you no harm. There's no reason to have hatred for him or malice or gall. I'm telling you, Jesus made himself last. He made himself least. And he was pleasing to the Father that you and I might come to him and be forgiven. And I praise his holy name today, man. My Savior was tortured. He was mocked. He was beaten. And yet he was willing to humble himself. Think about it. He was taunted, and the taunted made himself subject to the taunters. What about that? Think about that for a second. The Holy One made himself subject to those that are unholy. Preacher Darren, how did he do that? He said, I thirst. The Holy One made himself subject. The one that was persecuted humbled himself and made himself subject to his persecutors. I'm just saying, he did this because he loved you and because he loved me. My Savior is the pleased Savior. Knowing all things were now accomplished. This was the will of God being done. Second of all, I want to go a little further in this verse. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Number two, my Savior is the promised Savior. He sees that the scripture might be fulfilled. Let's identify him today. What he's saying is, I am that I am. I am the Savior. I am the Messiah. I am the Lord. I am the one dying in your place. I am the one transcending time and eternity. 
I'm the one bringing God the Father, mediating to sinful man. I am the go-between. I am the one. I was reading earlier in Genesis 22 about Abraham, how God had told him to go up on the mountain and offer the sacrifice there. And he took the fire and he took the wood and his little boy, his young man Isaac said, Father, here's the knife, the wood, the fire, but where is the lamb? And his daddy said, my son, God shall provide himself a lamb. And when when he got up there and he drew the knife back and his boy was a lamb there, he said, Abraham, Abraham, because I saw you didn't hold back that thing which was precious to you, I want you to know you can let him go. And when Abraham looked, there was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. Let's identify him. Isaac says, that's my lamb died in my place. Let's flash forward all the way. When Jesus was born, lived a sinless life, he walked down there into the Jordan River where there was John down there. John the Baptist was baptizing. Mark's gospel said, as people came to the water, they were confessing their sins. They'd walk in and say, oh God, forgive me. I've been a thief, but I believe in God. I want to call upon him. Lord, would you forgive me? And Lenny would baptize him, amen. And one by one, they'd walk into that water confessing. I've lied, I've cussed, I've been a drunkard. One by one, they'd walk in that water. But finally, there come one walking in who had no sin to confess. And he walked in the water without a sin to confess. John said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. Woo! And he baptized Jesus in that water. And when Jesus came up out of the water, God the Father said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Let's recognize him today for who he is. He is my Savior. He's the pleased Savior. And honey, He's the promised Savior. I want to read out of Psalm 69. Turn back there with me. Psalm 69. And I want to look in verse number 21. He's identifying who He is as He hangs on that cross, transcending time and eternity. Psalm 69, verse 21. He's marking Himself identifying himself as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the Christ, as the appointed, anointed one. Verse 21, Psalm 69, a messianic statement. They gave me also gall for my meat, and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. As they offer, as he says, I thirst... The scripture's been fulfilled. As he says, I thirst. What they do but look over and grab a hyssop filled with vinegar and a sponge and reach it up to him. And he turned away from even that. I just want to say, y'all, when he said, I thirst, he's identifying himself that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Thirdly, my Savior is the persecuted Savior. Now back to our text. After this, Jesus, knowing all things that were now accomplished, he's pleased to be the Savior. That the Scripture might be fulfilled. He's the promised Savior. Saith, I thirst. He's the persecuted Savior. 
full man, full God, on the cross of Calvary, bearing the full brunt of the wrath of God for the sins of mankind. Not just in general, but yours specifically. That hatred, that dirty word, that filthy action. He died upon the cross to wash all those things away. I begin to think about the harshness of human suffering. Hear me for a second. The Bible says in the book of Philippians chapter 2 verse 8 that being found and fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. The death on the cross is the most heinous, the most painful way for any man to die. It is excruciating. It is humiliating. And as he's dying there, and he says, I thirst, they gave him no water, but they reached him vinegar, gall, myrrh, those things which he refused. Now, you talk to people in the medical profession, and they'll say when someone's dying, it's a horrible thing. As they're, but the most horrible part of that is if they're suffering because of thirst. Dehydration is one of the most painful ways to suffer when you're dying. And best I can study, Jesus has not had anything to drink since before the trial even began. Maybe even the last thing he had to drink was in the upper room when he was with his disciples. And they drank of that cup. And he said, drink ye all of it. It represents my blood which was shed for you. And one day we'll drink a cup of fresh and anew together in heaven. I don't believe he had anything other to drink from that moment on. And if you'll think about it for just a second, they have arrested him. They have arraigned him. They have scourged him. Blood is pouring from his body. The tongue in his mouth is cleaving to his roof of his mouth. I am telling you, when he tried to speak, it was like gravel coming out of his throat. He is slowly dehydrating. He is suffocating. He's dying of thirst and intense, the most intense human suffering. In fact, let's read another psalm. Messianic again, 22, Psalm 22 and verse number 14. And see how the scriptures are being fulfilled. See how things are being accomplished. In Psalm 22 and verse number 14, here is a picture of Christ on the cross. He says in verse 14, I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted in the midst of my bowels. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaveth to my jaws. And thou hast brought me into the dust of death. I believe Jesus suffered the greatest beating that any man, the most intense beating that any man could ever experience. And he had such physical agony beyond, I, don't, I can't even describe the agony that he suffered. And why? What evil had he done? What wrong 
action had he ever committed. All he did was love us. That's all he did was love us. And as you see that blood streaming from his body, his body would try to produce more blood to recover from the blood loss he's already got. But he can't because he's so dehydrated. He can hardly get his breath. His tongue is stuck to the roof of his mouth. Now begin to think about something. Maybe there's somebody here today. Will you hear me? Here you've come into this assembly today and we've gathered and you're going through something. You're suffering. You've got a hardship and affliction. And you think, man, the devil's tried to single you out like a lion attacking one of the weaklings from the herd. He's trying to single you out and say, hey, you're the only one that's going through this. God don't love you. And the devil's trying to defeat you. I want to tell you something. It always is a little easier for us to go through something when we know somebody's going through it with us. Honey, I want to say to you today, Jesus suffered the harshness of human suffering and you're not going through this alone. In fact, I have some scripture I want to read in the book of Exodus chapter 2. Please turn there with me. I hope they are able to put this up on the screen in Exodus, excuse me, probably chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. Yeah, Exodus 3 and verse number 7. Egypt is holding the people of God, Israel, in bondage, in affliction, in oppression. And they've made their lives filled with suffering and hardship. And the people of God are calling on the Lord. And the devil is saying, go ahead and call on him, but he's not going to hear you. Go ahead and call on him, but you're not getting out of the mess you're in. Look at verse 7. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of the people which are in Egypt. Oh, let me say, he saw their suffering. And today, he sees your suffering. He sees your tears. He knows your brokenheartedness. He knows the pain you're going through. He knows you feel alone. He knows you feel troubled. And he says, I've seen what's going on in your life. But he didn't just stop there. He said, I've surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt and have heard their cry. Not only has he seen you, somebody ought to shout, He's heard your cry. When you said, God, I just can't take it. Lord, I don't know what I'm going to do. I feel so alone. Honey, he suffered on that cross. He thirsted such agony on that cross that you wouldn't have to suffer alone. He's heard your cry. He's seen your affliction, but he didn't stop there. He said, I've heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know, woo, I know their sorrows. Oh, yes, he does know. He's experienced your, soft, your sorrow and your suffering and greater still. Whatever hardship you've going through, his is greater. I've got a good friend of mine. His 
preacher, his uh, son died. It broke his heart. Oh, God, help him. His wife, we was at the funeral. Somebody said, God is good, and she nodded her head, but then she came back and said, he's good to y'all, but he's not good to me. He took my son. He took my boy. She quit singing in the choir. She halfway quit attending the services. He said, I used to come home from work and I'd hear her singing in the house and she's not singing anymore. She's becoming bitter. The suffering has been too much. The suffering has been too hard for her. She doesn't know what on earth she's going to do. And he called me, he said, Preacher, would you pray for me? Pray for my wife. I don't know what we're going to do. It's ministry's hardened up, but I don't know what I'm going to do. And years went by. And one day he walked in the house. When he opened the door, he heard singing down the hallway out of the back bedroom. Oh, it was his wife singing. It was music to his ears. He fell on his knees at the, at the sofa, at the couch there, and just thanking God, oh God, it's so good to hear her sing again. I don't know what you've done, but I'm praising you already. After he prayed for a while, he got up, wiped the tears out of his face. He went down the hall and he said, Honey, I couldn't help but overhear how my heart's rejoicing to hear you sing. What on earth has happened, dear? She said, I got to the place today that I needed Jesus more than I needed my boy. <laughs> and I realized Jesus suffered more than I've ever suffered. And today I started singing for him and I started praising him and I started serving him again. Honey, I don't know what you're going through today. God's had me come down here to tell you he knows about the harshness of your suffering and he thirsted and suffered in your place. He knows what you're going through. Don't you come up in here and say, oh no, preacher, he doesn't care. Read on with me, verse eight. He didn't just say, I've seen and I've heard and I know. But in verse eight, he says, I am come down to deliver. <laughs> Woo! He said, I've come to do something about it. Well, joy to my soul. He's come today to help you. Hallelujah. Here you are in the midst of your suffering. You say, nobody's had a difficulty like me. Nobody's suffering like I have. Jesus has, amen. He, oh, preacher, I've been wronged. He's been wronged. I've been lied about. Oh, he was lied about. I've been deserted. He's been deserted. I've been treated unfairly. He's been treated unfairly. I've suffered at the hands of someone. He suffered at the hands of someone. He knows what you're going through today. You are not alone. I was praying this week. I said, Lord, I don't know. I don't know if you'll even understand. What a fool. He said to me, he said, son, you'll never tell me something I don't understand. You'll never have a prayer request I can't answer. You'll never tell me something I don't already have the answer to. You'll never share anything that I don't already feel. Glory be to God, amen. He knows what we're going through, amen. He suffered. The harshness of human suffering. May I say he suffered the hopelessness of human suffering. Preacher, do you know what do you mean? Up to this point, 
on the cross, whew, I can't hardly even see. Maybe it's not a bad thing. Upon the cross, everything he said has been directed at someone. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. Woman, behold thy son. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Every statement to this fifth one was directed at someone. But when he made this fifth statement, I thirst, who's he talking to? Who will listen to his cry? All those unrighteous, filthy Roman soldiers hear him say that and they have so little compassion that they take a reed with a hyssop and they put vinegar in it. I'm telling you, if your dog got hit in this road and had enough strength to crawl to the ditch line, there's a many a girl in this congregation would run and get a bowl of water just so that dog could get a few laps or a few licks of water as it closes out its short little life here on earth. And yet when our Savior, the one who loves you beyond anyone else's love, when he was a dying there, they gave him vinegar mingled with gall and mingled with myrrh. I'm just telling you, as he's saying there, there's really nobody to help him. He made himself hopeless so that we might have hope. They tell me a man can live a few minutes without, without maybe water or without breathing air. He can live a few minutes maybe. And he could live a little while, a few days without water. And, but you won't live one second without hope. I'm talking to somebody that you feel like that all hope for you has been taken away. But honey, I'm telling you, he was made hopeless that you and I might have hope. May I say this? I look at this scripture and I see the helplessness of human suffering. Here he is, creator God, who made all that is. He made the water. And then he divided the firmament of the waters. And hear his cry. Ah, thirst. He's the same Jesus who's measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. One time, I was at home and I was studying. And I went in there to the sink and kept putting my hand under water. Like so. And my wife said, what are you doing? I said, I'm trying to, trying to see how much water my hand will hold. I figured out my hand would hold about two teaspoons of water before it started dripping through the webbing of my hand. You see, your pastor really has no ability to really help you. You won't help, I can help you about two teaspoons of water full and I might make a big mess. But my Savior... He measured the waters in the hollow of his hand. The Pacific, the Atlantic, the Mediterranean, and the mud puddle in my front yard. And every drop that falls from the sky was measured in the hollow of his hand. And yet that hand is crucified to that cross. And our creator who measured those waters says, I thirst 
that same one who met the little Samaritan woman there in the book of John. He must needs go through Samaria. Samaria. He said to that little woman, give me to drink. Oh, preacher, he must have been thirsty. He was thirsting to give her a drink. Hey, man, she was the one who was thirsty when he gave that with her soul finally. She said, come see a man that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? He's the one the Bible says that he giveth rain upon the earth and he sendeth waters to the fields. He's crying, I thirst. He's the one in the middle of the storm that went walking on the waves of the water. And he said, peace be still. And the waves had to obey him. And now he cries, I thirst. He's the same one that said, he that believeth on me, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. He said, I thirst. He made himself helpless so that you and I might receive help. He thirsted on the cross so in hell I would never have to go. I would never thirst in hell because Jesus thirsted on the cross. And when I looked to him, I got all that I need, amen. Oh, what a savior, amen. I want to close with this. Back during the Civil War days, cried my way through this. Back during the Civil War days, there was a man who was drafted or told that he had to go to war in the Civil War. He didn't want to go because he had a wife. He's not a coward. He's got children at home. He's got a farm to tend to. And his children are too young and his wife's not able. He didn't want to go. And a man heard about it and came up and he said, Sir, I will go in your place. He said, What? He said, I'm going to go to the battle in your place. You got a wife and I'm single. You got children, I don't have any. He said, I'm going to go in your place. I'm volunteering to take your place if you'll let me. And the man said, I don't understand. Why would you do this? He said, because I love your family and I want you to stay home with your family and enjoy them and I'll go to that battlefield in your place. The man's name was Clyde Durham. He went off to the war and he fought there battle after battle valiantly. A word came back that that young man had been killed, gave his life on the battlefield that farmer saddled up his horse and he rode his way up to where that battlefield was after the armies had left and moved on to another place where the, the battlefield was lined with bodies laying everywhere. And he looked and looked and he found that young man and he picked his body up and threw it over the back of his horse and rode back to his little farm and dug a grave on the side of the hill and he buried that young man in the epitaph. He, he, he put C.D. He gave his life for me. I begin to think about that. How Jesus gave his life for me. There was a battle going to take place. And God Almighty is going to win. And the wrath of God is going to be poured out on sinners. 
Jesus came to me on July 13th, 1978, and he said to me, sitting at the Balfour Baptist Church, he said, boy, there's a battle going to take place, and if you fight it, you're going to die and go to hell because you're a sinner, but I'll take your place. And if you'll let me take your place and fight this battle for you, not only will I die, but I'll rise again. Would you let me take your place? You know what I did? I said, man, I can't fight this fight. I, can't, I don't care how big you are. I don't care how bad you are. I don't care who your parents are. I don't care how much money you got. I don't care what denomination you are. Honey, Jesus took your place. That cross was my cross. That suffering was my suffering. That thirst was for me. And it was for you. For you, he's thirsty that not one soul would have to die and go to a devil's hell. So I want to say this to you and I'm done. I would be a fool to recognize that one took my place, fought that battle. They buried him, but on the first day of the week, he arose. I would be a fool not to live my life for one who gave his life for mine. I sure am glad he thirsted, amen. And I'm telling you today, blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. And I believe Jesus is thirsty today. He's thirsty for souls to be saved. He's thirsty for the sufferer to get help today. He's thirsty for the hopeless to leave this place today and say, I think I can go on and get hope and help and healing today. He wants you to have that. You stand to your feet, I'm done. I wonder, is there somebody here? Christians, you come pray. Seth, come play. Maybe you'd come this on and say, oh, preacher. Oh, preacher, he fought the battle for me. He gave his life for me. Today I want to worship him. Today I want to bow my knee to him. Today I want to serve him. I want to live for him. Folks are coming. Oh, maybe you're here and you'd say, Oh, preacher, I've never been saved. Sir, young lady, ma'am, there's a battle coming. You can't win it. You're going to die and go to hell in your own effort. But if you today say, Oh, yes, I believe Jesus took my place. And the day I look to him, I want to receive. Is there somebody here say, Preacher, I'd like to be saved. Just slip up your hand. Maybe you're already in the altar. Preacher, maybe you're still in the congregation. Preacher, I want to be saved today. He took my place. I know it. Anybody?
Father, this morning, Lord, there's needs round about. Father, I've got family members. I've got friends. And I've got frenemies that need to be saved. And you took their place. Help us, God, to declare the message. Jesus thirsted so we wouldn't have to. Lord, I pray today, God, for someone today, Father, that's going through suffering, hardship, affliction, oppression, that the devil's tried to cut them off, put them off in a corner and say, you'll get no help. There is no hope. Father, I pray you'd help them today, God, to look to Jesus. He's with them. He has seen. He has heard. He knows. And He's come down to do something about it. God, I ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah.